Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Psalm chapter 6, and I want you to look at verse number 1 with me. The Bible says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. Now I want you to note this next part. This is where I take my title tonight. David says, but thou, O Lord, how long? How long? That's the title of my message tonight. How long? 2020 has been a year unlike any other uh, and probably unlike most of us have ever experienced before. It has been a year of, of storms. Yes, we've seen quite a few actual storms like hurricanes and things like that, but figuratively, most of us have experienced some severe storms in 2020. Health storms with COVID-19, financial storms with the fallout of, of COVID-19, relational storms, spiritual storms. I have a feeling tonight I'm talking to a, a, a group of people tonight that have experienced some storms in your life this year. The reality of our lives is that storms are a part of life. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, ye shall have tribulation. He made that a guarantee. Storms are a part of life. But how about this? No one is exempt from the storms of life. You may say, Pastor, why are we going through these storms? I mean, we're trying to live for God. We're trying to be faithful. Why is it that God is allowing us to go through these storms? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 45, Matthew 5, 45, our heavenly Father maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Storms are a part of life. Nobody in this building, nobody in the world is exempt from the storms of life. But I'm glad number three, the third introductory statement this evening is that we can endure the storms of life. In fact, in that verse I just read, John 16, 33, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. According to Jesus, peace, which simply means security and prosperity, and cheer, which means to be courageous, are possible in the midst of life's greatest storms. You and I can live the abundant Christian life. We can rise up with courage. We can rise up and prosper even in the midst of life's greatest storms. But, and here's the question I want to ask tonight and bring to your attention, and I want us to tackle this question tonight. What do we do when the storms of life are prolonged? Maybe I can rephrase the question and ask it this way. What do we do when we can't see the end of the clouds that are currently covering our lives? I grew up in North Carolina, and I don't know how many of you maybe have experienced this before, but in North Carolina, when, when they would have scattered th thunderstorms, 
Uh, sometimes you would have a, a clear sunny day, blue skies, sun shining, but you could see off in the horizon the storm clouds gathering and the storm clouds beginning to move toward you. And you could watch the storm as it literally would blow right over top of you. And Brother McMains, there were times when you could even see the beginning of the storm and look just down the way and see the end of the storm. You could watch the storm come. You could watch the storm go. And sometimes that, there, were, there were storms like that. You could see them coming and, and you could see them as they went. But many times uh, I thought about this. There were storms that if it were not for the radar that I would check on my phone, you'd wonder if they were ever going to end. I mean, as far as your eye could see in every direction, there were storm clouds. And you began to wonder, when is this storm ever going to end? I thought about this as I was studying for this message. How many of you wish that we had a, a, an app? Maybe somebody here could develop an app that would be like life's radar. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? could see the storms coming. You could brace for impact and say, okay, this financial storm's on the way. This health storm is on the way. And I can see it coming and I brace for impact and check out that, that radar app and watch the storm as it blows by. But how many of you know there's not one of those apps available, is there? No. Sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of, of a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a, of a difficult situation and we really don't know how much longer that situation is going to be here. I remember telling some of our church folks back in the month of March, oh, this COVID-19 thing will be here for a few weeks and it'll blow over and it'll be gone. But here we are six, seven months later and it's still a very real part of our life. What do we do when the storms of life are here and they're here to stay? In Psalm chapter 6, David finds himself in one of the many storms of life that he faced. And as we survey Psalm chapter 6, and in fact, I want you to keep your Bibles open tonight as we survey this text tonight. We find out about David that this storm in his life had brought health issues. We see that in verse number 2. He says his bones are vexed. This storm brought into David's life spiritual issues. He says my soul is also sore vexed. This storm brought about emotional issues in David's life. In verse 6, he speaks of his groaning. It brought about relational issues. In verse 10, David speaks of his enemies. I want you to notice in the introduction to Psalm chapter number 6, the Bible says in the introduction, it gives us a little window into this storm. It says to the chief musician on Neganoth, which just simply refers to a stringed instrument such as a harp. Of course, we know David was a, an instrumentalist. He was a, a man who knew how to play the harp. And David, uh, uh, he played that harp. And the Bible says here to the chief musician on Neganoth, which probably refers to a harp. But notice what the Bible says in your introduction there. It says to the chief musician on Neganoth upon Sheminith. Now you probably say, what in the world does that mean? The word Sheminith is a Hebrew word that literally means the eighth. Interesting, interestingly, it's believed by most writers that this is referring to the octave of the song. One writer suggested that this particular song had been written with a lower bass melody. Why? Why was it written with a lower bass melody? Why was it written upon the eighth octave, upon Sheminith? Well, it was written with that lower bass melody in order to accentuate the fact that David found himself in a very low place in his life. Anybody ever been there before? Not only was David in a low place in life, but I believe as we're going to see, David was feeling pretty low as a result of this storm. And we see now that 
that David is writing this song uh, upon, uh, 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 he says in the, the introduction there, writing to the chief musician on Neganoth upon Shemineth, Charles Spurgeon referred to Psalm 6 as a mournful ode. Times were tough for David. The storm of life was raging. The lightning was flashing in David's life. The thunder was crashing. The rain was pounding down relentlessly on David's life. And I want us to look at three things in this text quickly tonight. Number one, I want you to notice his prayer for mercy in verses 1 through 3. If you were to study Psalm 3 and 4 and 5, which are also penned by David in the midst of some of life's of his life's greatest storms, you would find that David clearly had found an effective way in which to handle those storms. Time and again, we read that David was on his face before God. David was calling out to God in prayer, pouring out his heart. Let's just quickly look at Psalm 3 and verse number 1. If you see it there in your Bible, David calls out and says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Verse, chapter 4 and verse number 1. He says, hear me, O God, when I, when I, uh, hear me when I call, O God. Chapter 5 and verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. David understood that in the midst of great pain and in the midst of great problems, there is great peace found in prayer. Philippians 4, 7, in fact, calls it the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. There was uh, ever a time in which David needed that peace that comes from prayer. It was now. Why? Because David had some major problems. That's letter A. We see David's problems. Look at verse number two, if, if you would, please. Psalm six and verse number two, he cries out and says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Look at this. For I am weak. O Lord, heal me for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. As I've already mentioned in the introduction, David, in Psalm 6, is in a, in a mess. He mentions here that he is weak. It simply means to be sick. It means to be feeble. He elaborates on his sickness again by saying that his bones were vexed. Do you see that there? The, David says, my, my bones are, are vexed. And it literally means that David's body was trembling. David's body was, was being agitated. Have you ever been so sick that it literally causes your body to begin to tremble? That's where David was. David was in a really tough situation physically, but look at it with me. That's not the extent of his issues. He says in verse, he says there in verse number three, my soul also is sore vexed. Now, you know, usually if you're having health problems, you can at least lean on your spirit, right? Like I feel bad physically, but spiritually I'm feeling pretty good. David, as he looks in the mirror, he sees a man whose body is ravaged by pain. But as David looks within his heart, his soul is also sore vexed. His soul is also in pain. And now we see his prayer. He says, oh, Lord, heal me. As you might imagine, David was praying for relief. David was asking God to cure him of his illness. Finnis Dake said that these requests indicate that David in this text has a grievous disease. One author referred to Davis as, uh, David as sleepless, helpless, and hopeless. Sleepless, helpless, and hopeless. And could it really be any worse? Well, then we see letter B, David's penitence. Look at verse number one, if you would, of Psalm chapter six. He says, O Lord, Rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Psalm 6 is 
uh, the first of seven psalms that are referred to as penitential psalms. The word penitence means the action uh, of feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done wrong. It just simply means repentance. And while we don't know the exact context of Psalm chapter number 6, what we find is that David once again recognizes a couple things. He recognizes that God is holy, and because God is holy, God has an utter hatred for sin. Look at what he says about God in the verse. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine, look at the verse, the word, anger. God's angry about something here. Neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Now let's bring this down to our level. Parents, have you ever had a moment where your children did something that made you a little hot under the collar? Come on. It'll be only about 10 times a day, right? Well, David, as he looks up to God, he sees that God is angry. He sees that God is displeased. You see, David was guilty. Apparently, David had done wrong and and, and understood that this storm that he was in was uh, the punishment for his wrongdoing. And this is why, verse 2, he prays for mercy. He says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Mercy can be defined as withholding that which is deserved. David understood that this storm was, in essence, the result of his bad decisions. David's prayer was that God would be merciful. David's prayer was that God would bring healing and rescue him from his peril. And I really think this begs the question for us tonight. Why do storms come into our lives? Why do storms come into our lives? Why do we find ourselves from time to time in a financial storm? Why do we find ourselves from time to time in a uh, in an emotional storm or a physical storm or in spiritual distress? Let me just throw four things out to you, and I think these are biblical truths. First of all, I think storms can be self-inflicted. Sometimes we may find ourselves in a storm of life simply because we made some poor decisions. Not necessarily sinful decisions, but maybe we made some poor decisions. Maybe we find ourselves in an, uh, an overwhelming amount of debt with overwhelming bills. Why? Because we, uh, we failed to live within our means. Because we uh, had bad stewardship. I would call that a self-inflicted storm. Sometimes storms, number two, can be Satan-inflicted. Think about Job. Of course, we know that Satan is a created being and Satan is limited in his power and his ability, but there are times within our lives that God will allow Satan to bring a storm into our life just as he did with Job. Sometimes storms can be sovereign inflicted. Ultimately, we understand that God is sovereign over all and that he will use every situation for our good and for his glory. But there are times when God, according to his will, brings storms into our lives. We might say there are times when God intends to try us. There may be times in our life when we find ourselves in a storm, not because we're being punished, but just simply because God wants to purify us as his people. Storms can be self-inflicted. They can be Satan-inflicted. They can be sovereign-inflicted. But listen, where we find David in this story in Psalm chapter 6 is in a sin-inflicted storm. Finnis Dake said that David had a deep consciousness of sin and God's displeasure at him. 
Let me say tonight, sometimes the storms of life are God's way of punishing us for sin in our life. Not always, but there may be times when God uh, punishes us with a storm in our life. You see, sometimes God in holy love disciplines his children. Let me give you some scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 7. It says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Chasteneth not. Verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, there are times in our lives when we find ourselves in a storm because we have a God who in holy love disciplines his children. Why? Well, he does it to teach us to avoid sin and its bitter consequences. Just like you might have a, a child. I can remember when my kids were, were a, a little, when Taylor or Mason were just a little smaller, they may get a little close to a, a, an electrical outlet or be playing around that outlet. And I would have to, to tell them, hey, you can't do that. That's, that's bad for you. And there are times when, when God will bring discipline into our life to, to teach us a lesson to stay away from sin. And afterward, the Bible says it brings forth that peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's exactly where David was in Psalm 6. David was being punished for his sin. We see, let her see, David's patience. Look at verse number 3. My soul is also sore vexed. Look what David says. But thou, O Lord, how long? And I think it might be more accurate to call this point David's impatience. For we find David here trying to determine how much longer he is going to have to endure this storm of life. Seemingly, David's patience was running low. And he asked a very relatable question in verse number three when he says, Lord, how long? I, I don't know about anybody else in this room tonight, but I just want you to know you're looking at a guy who probably has to be the most impatient person in all of the world. I am not a very, very patient person. And I find myself all the time asking that question, how long? The, the primary example of this is when my wife has to leave me with all four of our kids. Come on, you, come on, dads, you can relate with me tonight, right? Come on, please. And I have to tell my wife, okay, I can watch all four kids, but, but how long are you going to be gone? Because inevitably, something's going to happen, and I'm going to think, okay, I need to look at my watch and think, okay, my wife, she'll be back in just 30 more minutes. I can make it for 30 more minutes, right? That's what David's doing here. He's saying, Lord, how much longer? You see, when we know how long something's going to last, it gives us a sense of hope. I thought about this, uh, and I don't want to offend anybody tonight, but I, I'm not a big fan of, the, of soccer. One of the reasons, I'll tell you one of the reasons why, okay? And, and, and if you are, that's fine. But one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of soccer is because the time doesn't count down. The time counts up. Like in a football game or a basketball game, the time counts down to zero. But in a soccer game, a soccer match, it starts at zero and works its way up to 90 minutes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, and then in the second half of the soccer game, the same thing happens. And guess what happens at the end of the game? It hits 90, but the game keeps going. Oh, thank you. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. You know why? Because at the end of a soccer game, there's something called stoppage time. And only the referees know when the game is going to end. 
And that drives me crazy because I want to know how much longer until this is over. And in this difficult moment, come on, lean in with me tonight, right before we leave tonight. David lifts his eyes to heaven and he asks a powerful question to God that every single one of us have asked in storms in life. Whether those storms were sin inflicted or sovereign inflicted or Satan inflicted or self inflicted. We've all asked that question, God, how much longer is this storm going to last? Anybody in here asked about, thought about that with COVID-19? I have. Lord, how much longer is this going to last? Maybe you're in a storm and you've asked that question, how much longer? One author called this question from David an an exclamation of intense lament, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. David has some serious problems in his life. And from his perspective, all these problems just could not go away fast enough. And that's where we see number two. Stay with me, I'm almost done. His pessimistic mentality. We see, first of all, his prayer for mercy in verses one through three. But now we see his pessimistic mentality in verses three through seven. Let me say tonight that in every storm of life that you or I may face, we basically have two options in those storms. What are those options, Zach? I think the first option is the one that is so hard for all of us. And here it is, ready? It's patience. Doesn't that word sort of like make you quiver a little bit? It makes me like, you know, it's like, man, I'm not very good at patience. And if anybody here tonight feels like you have perfect patience, would you come counsel me after church tonight? I need need what you have, all right? I think we can all relate uh, to this idea of being impatient. Uh, Being patient means the, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Not easy, is it? And yet James... Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. A.W. Tozer said that problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or endure them unwillingly. So the first option in the midst of a storm is we can just be patient, wait for God to come through. But then there's a second option, and I see many people who choose the second option. What is it, Pastor Zach? It's pessimism. Pessimism is defined as a tendency to see the worst aspect of things or believe that the worst will happen. Listen to this definition of the word pessimism. A lack of hope or confidence in the future. And I believe this is the inevitable outcome of the person who impatiently keeps asking God the question, God, how much longer? In fact, I want you to notice this happens in David's life. Look, first of all, at David's timing in verse number three. Would you look at it with me there? Psalm six and verse three, David says, my soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Look what David says, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. Now, I think we can relate to David here. According to his calculations, the absolute best thing that could happen is for God to return, is for God to rescue him from his storm immediately. God says, 
David, uh, David says, God, according to my estimation, according to my timing, according to my timeline, God, the best thing that you can do is return and rescue me right now. Can I ask you a question tonight with all due respect, and I'm including myself in this? Why do we assume that we know better than God? God knows how much we can bear. He knows how much we need to learn the lesson that he's trying to teach. And yet every single one of us, I believe, has probably asked God the question, okay, God, I've learned the lesson. You can deliver me now, Lord, how much longer? David was convinced in the book of Psalm chapter number six that if God would not come through, if God would not deliver him according to his timeline, David was nearing the end of his ability to endure this storm for much longer. And that's where we see David's terror. Look at verse five. Unreal. Look what he says. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? Do you sense David's pessimism here? He's beginning to use words that we really should not use in the storms of life. He's using words like death. He's using words like the grave. You see, this was no longer a temporary storm that David was going through, but David believed that this storm was literally going to be the end of his life. David's looking up to God saying, God, this storm is going to be the death of me. God, if you don't rescue me soon, I'm done. They'll be burying me, and my voice will be silenced. Someone said that David in this moment had a defeatist frame of mind. You see, David, who was a man who had moments of great failure, was also a man of great faith, a man who loved God. David was a man after God's own heart. Sure, he made some mistakes. Sure, he had some missteps in his life. But David loved living for God. And David also knew that he only had one shot at this life. And he wanted to make it count. And David knew this, that when this life was over, that was it. That was his last chance. No more writing songs for God. No more giving him thanks. David knew when his physical voice was silenced by death, that would be the end of his impact and influence for God here on this earth. And that thought terrified David. And in fact, it brought him to tears. That's the next thing, David's tears. Would you look at verse 6? Come on, let's lean in with David here. I am, look at what he says, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. You see, David said, I'm weary with my groaning. It means to sigh. It means an expression of grief or physical distress. In fact, David was in such physical and spiritual distress in, uh, distress in Psalm 6 that he says he's sleepless. You see that? He said, all the night, he's sorrowful. He said, I make my bed to swim. And this is an interesting word in your Bible in Psalm 6. He says there, I make my bed to swim, which is not referring to a place where you sleep. We, we immediately would connect the word bed with like the place where we sleep. But this Hebrew word actually is referring to a little, uh, a little seat that was at the foot of the bed where you would sit 
for a place of rest, maybe throughout the day, a place where you would sit to enjoy uh, uh, maybe lunch or to take a, a, just a brief moment of rest. But to David at this point in his life, it was nothing more than a place of pain. It was nothing more than a place of crying. He refers to it as swimming with tears. And then he says, if you'll notice with me there in verse number six, he says, I water my couch with my tears. This word couch uh, speaks of the bed under a canopy where David would generally have slept through the night. But now in this storm, all David can do is move from one place of sorrow to the next place of sorrow. Like a person would water their lawn with a sprinkler, David is watering his bed with his tears. This is a bad place for David. The storm is here in David's life. Come on, let's take down our spiritual facade for a second and let's lean in and, and understand how many of us have been there with David. Oh, sure, we want to be people of great faith. We want to trust God in the midst of COVID. But let's be honest enough tonight to admit that every one of us have probably had a point in our life where we felt like we were there with David. Where we say, Lord, how much longer? I don't know how much more I can take of this storm. The storm is here. And from David's perspective, the storm is here to stay. There's no end in sight. Have you been there? Are you there? Can you relate with David? What a sad story it would be tonight if we had to, to end the message there. But that's not the end of the story. Sure, we see his prayer for mercy. Sure, we see his pessimistic mentality. But I want to close this message tonight by looking at verses 8 through 10, where we see David's powerful message. And at the risk of sounding too trite this evening, I am glad to say this evening that we do have a God, listen, who can turn your test into a testimony. Uh, we have a God tonight who can take your mess and turn it into a message. Whereas David in verses 1 through 7 had a defeatist frame of mind, in verses 8 through 10 we find David now have a defiant frame of mind. Or as Charles Spurgeon put it like this, the psalmist has changed his note. Sure, David had a moment of doubt. Absolutely. David had a moment of despair. But in these closing verses of Psalm 6, we find David rising up in his storm to trust God yet again. And if you haven't got anything else out of this message, lean in for five minutes and get this part right here. We see, first of all, David's focus in verse number eight. I want you to read, look at with verse 8 and 9 with me and see if you pick up on a recurring word here. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive uh, my prayer. Did you get it? David's focus now is on the Lord. I wonder this evening, with all that's going on in our world, at this present time in 2020, what, what are you allowing your heart to focus on right now? Let's be honest about this. Come on. Uh, I know we don't have storms a lot in Southern California, but when a storm blows in, when there's thunder and lightning and wind and rain, that's a captivating event, is it not? And it kind of makes us focus on what's going on. It's really easy to focus on the storm. It's not hard to focus on the storm. It's not hard to focus on the flashing lightning and the crashing thunder. But what is hard is in the midst of the storm, lifting your eyes above the storm to a God who is overall. The Lord, that's what David said. 
It's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. James Strong referred to it as the proper name of the one true God. Sure, in verses 1 through 7, David temporarily found himself focusing on the storm of life. But now, David focuses on the sovereign God who is over that storm. Can I give you a verse? Proverbs 4.23. And it says this. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. The Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary said that the heart is the depository of all wisdom and the source of whatever affects life and character. Let me say this morning, on stormy days, by the way, we're living in stormy days right now. Stormy days from a health perspective, stormy days from a financial perspective, stormy days from a social and political perspective. And on stormy days, guard the focus of your heart. I love this from Blackaby. Listen to this. He said, your heart's affections determine your life's direction. Your heart's affection determines your life's uh, uh, direction. You want to avoid depression? Turn off the news, right? <laughs> no. You want to avoid depression? You want to avoid despair? Listen, teach yourself to find refuge at God's throne. Intentionally do things throughout your day that will force you to correct your focus. Is it any wonder that we live life in despair and discouragement and depression when all we do is scan Facebook and, and look at Instagram and Twitter and watch Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and get our eyes focused on everything else but God. Come on, y'all. Oh, David had his eyes on the storm and man, he was discouraged and he was depressed and the tears were flowing and David had no rest for his life. But David in this moment lifts his eyes to the one who was in control. He lifted his, lifted his eyes to the Lord. I wonder tonight, if we could see your heart, where, is your, the, where are the eyes of your heart focusing tonight? And what's amazing to me is when David corrected his focus, this is amazing, it led to faith. That's the second thing, David's faith. Look at verse number eight. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. And Finnis Dake said about this section, he said this, listen to this. He said, here David rallies. And we can relate to this. Have you ever been watching your favorite football team, your favorite baseball team? And I mean, for the first three quarters of the game, they're just getting beat. But all of a sudden, something happens, and it takes one hit or one shot, and all of a sudden you begin to think, wait a second. Maybe they're going to make the comeback. Maybe they're going to rally. Maybe they're really going to make this happen. We begin to show interest again. And at the beginning of David's story in Psalm 6, we see a man who's weeping tears, who's wondering, is this it? Is my life about to end? Am I going to die? Am I going to end up in the grave? But all of a sudden, something changes. You know what changed? David's focus changed, and then faith came into his life. David rallies. Just a moment ago, David was the underdog. Underdog. David was overwhelmed. David was consumed by his circumstance. But now, something has changed. What is it? It is faith. It is great faith in a great God. We need to know that David's 
come on, let's lean into this truth and we're just about done. But we need to note right here that David's note has not changed because his situation changed. Come on, David is still in the exact same situation. David still has physical issues. David still has health and relational issues. According to David's perspective, deliverance had not yet come. And yet God was merciful to David. Listen to this. Not by removing the storm, but by giving David faith in the storm. Sometimes we think the only way I'll ever get happy, the only way I'll ever find joy is if God takes the storm away. No. We don't need God to take the storm away. We need him to give us faith in the midst of the storm. David's faith was founded in the fact, listen to this, that God had heard his prayer. That God had heard his voice. That God would receive his prayer. And isn't it interesting that David never references an answer to his prayer. And I believe that is intentional. God doesn't have to answer our prayers in order for us to have peace and comfort. So long as we know that God has heard our prayer, we can rest in Him. I have so much I'd like to say. I, I don't have time. I'm going to finish. Carrie Smith said this, Discontent flows from a scrambling heart, attempting to fulfill our desires our way, rather than trusting God's way. Could it really be said tonight, could it, could it really be said that we have true faith in God if we always demand that things be done our way instead of His way? Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Sure, there will be times when we'll ask God, how long? God, how much longer? But we must choose patience. We must trust in our righteous God's perfect I want you to listen to this poem. It's my dad's favorite poem. It's called, He Maketh No Mistake. It says, it goes like this. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may, be, it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Though Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one. David changed his focus, which led to faith. And the last thing today is that David had great freedom. Look at verse 8. David says, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and be sore vexed. Notice what he says. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Once David fixed his focus and his heart was filled with faith. Guess what? Now David had a message to share in the midst of his story. No longer is David talking to God in prayer, but now David has redirected his focus to his enemies. And he challenges them concerning two things, concerning their destruction. He says, there depart from me all you workers of iniquity. Let mine enemies be ashamed and be sore vexed. 
Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. David was warning them, if you continue to fight against God's will, destruction is your end. But notice the very last thing David warned them concerning their deliverance. He says, let them return. And the word means to recover. It means to convert. It means to restore. Finnis Dake said, thus it is not that David won't, wanted his enemies destroyed, but converted. Isn't that amazing? Once David got his focus right, and once his heart was filled with faith, David then was free to go out and minister to other people. I wonder if that's what God wants for us in the midst of COVID-19. In the midst of a divided world, in the midst of a world that is divided by left wing and right wing and Republican and Democrat and all the things that are dividing us, maybe if God would help us to redirect our focus to Him and our hearts be filled with faith in Him, then we would have freedom to go out and share the good news with the world and say, hey, we have something that money cannot buy. We have a message that is a life-changing, redeeming message, and that message is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again so that you can be saved. Let's bow our heads this evening. I'm going to let Pastor McMains come and lead the invitation. I pray that God use this challenge in your life tonight. Where's your focus? Maybe tonight you just simply pray, God, help my focus to be on you. Fill my heart with faith so that I'll have freedom to minister. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.